You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. How many were here last week for Carl Gustav Severn? How many caught that message? All right, most of you were here. I can only encourage you, if you missed that message, go to the podcast, watch it or listen to it on podcast because it was one tremendous message. I think, in my opinion, it was one of the best Thanksgiving messages I've ever heard in my life. And I thought he hit it out of the park. It was H&L, top drawer, whatever you want to put it. It was one amazing message. It was a message about being thankful for those that have packed our parachute. And you what does that mean? Well, go to the podcast. You'll get it all there. But somebody has packed our parachute. And he especially mentioned in church, many people working behind the scenes, packing the parachute, volunteering, making possible for us to do what we're doing. And uh, we want to thank those who have volunteered tonight, tomorrow. We have special volunteers heading out to Pitt Meadows for the service there. And I encourage you, would you keep praying for us as, we, as that service grows there and we reach out to uh, people that are living in that area. And, and uh, we need your prayers for that and for all the services. So good stuff. Tonight we're going to talk about uh, when God's Spirit moves. And tonight it's power source. So uh, we're going to trust God that he'll show up tonight. And again, help us understand the power of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit comes to live with inside of us. And out of this source of power, we're able to bring change to the world around us. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, one of my favorite verses, Jesus talking to the disciples, he said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Receive power. There, you know, our world's hungry for power. I was at Starbucks earlier today, went inside there and got my cup of coffee. And uh, you know where they have the cream and all that stuff? There was a community bulletin board. And I just glanced up at the community bulletin board. And I counted at least three or four different groups that were advertising how they could have spiritual power. None of them were Christian-based. They're all kind of different types of spiritual powers. And so I thought, you know, this is interesting. There's obviously a real hunger for power because these people are advertising it. And they had, you know, different mystical and spiritual experiences that you could have. And I thought, God... There is a city that's hungry for the power, for the move of the Holy Spirit. And we don't need a counterfeit. There's something so genuine, so powerful, and it's moving across our city. And it's moving in our church as well as we talk about the source of power. When I looked at those bulletin board and I, I saw that, I was thinking, you know, they're, they're just, I think there's a search there for a source of power. And it was reflected in what was written on the posters. Well, before you can plug into... A power source, you have to desire change. If you're filling in the blanks, I think the word is change there. Because without a hunger for change, you never plug into power. And I'm going to make it really simple tonight. If we wanted to change the lighting in this room, how many know we have to plug into power? Those lights are plugged into power. We didn't change the lighting in the room until we plugged into power. Something changed when we plugged into power. If, uh, if you want to dry your hair and change your hair, you plug in your hair dryer or your hair curler. You, you get a change because you plugged it in. If you want to change the, the atmosphere of your room, you plug in your radio and you put on some music. You've changed it because you plugged into something. If you want to change anything, you have to plug into something. Something has to be plugged in to change. Just think about what you want to change. You say, well, I have to plug into power to change it. Now, if you don't want to change... Well, then you don't need a power source. If you want to keep the lighting the way it is, if you want to have the lights off, if you, if you don't want to change anything, you don't need a power source. But if you want to change, then you have to plug into power. 
And I think God's stirring us as we go through this series that we want to bring a change to our city. We want to bring a change into our lives. If the church is apathetic, if the church is asleep, nothing's going to change. Throughout history, there's something called revivals in church history, or they're also called the awakenings. There's awakenings in the 1700s. There's awakening in the 1800s. There's awakening in the 1900s. These were awakenings. Church history is earmarked with awakenings. Who woke up? The church. What did they wake up to? They woke up to a world that was broken and hurting, and they said, something's got to change. So you don't plug into power until you say something's got to change. If you're okay with the way it is, or if you're apathetic, or if you're even cold-hearted, you won't want to plug into the power. You'll just keep going on your way, and you'll sing with Doris Day, K, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. You can sing that song, but nothing's, nothing will change. But if you're stirred, if you're grieved... If you're provoked, you say, can't stay this way. Something's got to change. And when you get to that place, you will plug into the source of power. But until you want something to change, you won't plug into God's source. When the church says, we must change, something must happen. And in our own lives, something's got to change. That's when we start looking for the source of power. And the early church plugged into that source of power. And we too want to, we're not saying we're not plugged into it. Or maybe we want to, and like the church, they were filled and then filled again with the spirit. I just think God can do more than what he's doing now. And I don't think it's his issue. I think it would be our issue. We just need to say, God, less of me and more of you. Remember, that's what John the Baptist prayed. I must decrease so God can increase, the Lord can increase. And we say, God, more of you moving in our church, more of you moving in our life groups, more of you moving in our city. So that's the first point. We won't get to the source of the power unless we want to see a change. We live in a culture that has a pretty negative view of Christianity. And uh, Jesus wants us to bring a change in our culture. And uh, I I want to prove to you tonight uh, that our, our culture is pretty negative. So I'm going to ask the media team to, to put up Google. Everybody's familiar with Google, right? And we all Google something. Google is kind of like, uh, it's, you know, what would we do without, what would we, it's pre-Google and post-Google, right? I mean, our world before Google and our world after Google. So, uh, but there's, there's an interesting feature about Google, and that is when you type a search in, it will prompt you and it will actually give you suggestions based on popular searches by other users. And so it kind of gives you a look into the mind of the culture. So we're going to try something tonight. We're going to type something in. Why are Christians so? Let's type that in. Oh, look at that. Mean, ignorant, fat, loving, weird, brainwashed, lame, awesome, intolerant. Did that just give you a glimpse of what our culture thinks about Christians? That's based on searches. So let's just pick some letters out there. Anybody want to pick a letter of the alphabet? We'll just put one letter in. We'll see what it tells us. Who wants? A. Okay, let's put it in A. Awesome. Well, there's a good one. Arrogant, annoying, anti-gay, angry, against homosexual, against gay marriage, against evolution. This is, this is our culture we live in that we're asked to impact. Who wants to pick another letter from this side? Pick C. Okay, let's try C. 
I don't know that. Closed mind, crazy, cruel, cheesy, conservative, condescending, creepy, critical, carnal, unlike Christ. Wow. How many think we just might need an awakening and a revival? The church might need to be doing something different, obviously. Okay, let's one more. Anybody else want to pick a letter? Yes. What is it? S? Okay, we got S. Let's try S. I'm hoping there's no swear words in this. (laughs) There's always a risk on this illustration. Uh, Self-righteous, stuck-up, sexist, sure, sensitive. Oh, sensitive's good. Yay. Selfish, stubborn, supportive of Israel. That's good. Smug, sad. Okay, one other one. And again, I don't know. I had John in the back there. What is it? B as in Bob? Okay, let's try B. Brainwash, beautiful, yay, boring, bigoted, biased, broke, bloodthirsty, blind, busy, boring. Ooh. All right, pastor, hope this message gets better because right about now I'm kind of depressed. It will get better, all right? But that right there is a snapshot into the mind of our culture with Christians today. When we were in New York with uh, Pastor Dr. Tim Keller and he was sharing at Movement Day, What's going on? The challenges, especially of cities that are uh, churches that are in the heart of cities, like we are. And his church, which is a Presbyterian Redeemer church there in the heart of New York, very similar to what we have here. And he, he said, you know, one of the greatest challenges we have as a church is that we have to be a contrast to the world around us. If we do sex the way everybody else does sex, we're not a contrast. If we live our life like everybody else, there's no contrast. There has to be a contrast to the world around us. And not only do there have to be a contrast, he said, as we, as we live in our church world, we're, we're, you know, the, the world as a whole is, right now, they're not really happy with Christians. And so you're going to suffer some stuff following Christ today. And we may have to learn something from the church in the East. We may have to learn something from our friends in China. We have to learn some things from other believers because the wind is blowing in a different direction. Now, God's not surprised by all this. And throughout the years of history, the church has thrived and grown under different conditions. And I believe today, even though we see that up there, God has, God's spirit is moving. And in this, we can plug into God's power if we want to change something, if we want to make a difference. They were sharing at the conference that Chuck Colson had gone into prisons and and he would would do great work in the prisons. And he said there's a tipping point at 10%. When 10% of that prison population comes to faith in Christ, the entire prison seems to have a shift go on. Now, guards and prisoners start to get along. Prisoners start to have respect for each other. Even though they're not all Christians, you you start to bring transformation to the prison at 10%. So in the 80s, New York had 1% Christian. Today, they've measured they have 3%. And as pastors are believing for 10% to be believers in New York City proper. And they're praying for that because there's something about enough to just bring this change, where you bring a change to the culture, no matter how hostile it is, you can bring change to it. But if we don't want to change... If we're okay with it, and we'll just kind of live with it and not be different, well, then we won't plug into the source of power. But if we want to change, we'll say, hey, let's plug into the power source so we can bring change because we can't do it on our own. We know that. Okay, here's a, a verse out of John 17. 
verses 14, 15, and verse 18. Paul, this, I mean, this is our Lord Jesus, his high priestly prayer. This is what he prayed for you, what he prayed for me. Not just for his disciples, he also prayed this for us. Very clearly, he's praying this for us if we take time to study the prayer. And the world has hated them because they're not of the world. You saw that in that little Google thing, right? So don't be surprised about that. Just as I am not of the world, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. You ever feel like, Lord, just take me home today? You know what Maranatha means? Maranatha means, Lord, come quickly. And sometimes I say, oh, Maranatha, Lord, just come quickly. Please, just come. I'm ready to go. But he says, no, I'm not praying you take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. As you sent me into the world, and he was sent to bring change, correct? I also have sent them into the world. Now, he sent us into the world with power. He didn't send us without power. That would just be mean. He sent us with power to bring change. Jesus is the ultimate changer of the world. And we are his change agents. We are his ambassadors to bring change. But we will not bring change unless we are connected to the power source. So we want to be connected to it. When Jesus was on the earth, he demonstrated that compassion for a hurting world would release his power. Matthew 14, 14, and Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When did power get released? I propose tonight, power will be released to a world that needs change the same way today as it was with Jesus, when we are moved with compassion. Because the change first has to take place in our heart. I have to want to change. And then when I'm moved with compassion, it says the power is released and he healed the sick. Moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Moved with love is another way you could put it. Mark 1 verse 41. Jesus moved with compassion again. You'll find this phrase a number of times in the life of Jesus. Moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I'm willing, be cleansed, be cleansed. So again, how did he connect through compassion, that compassion Release the power change. He wanted to see people change, moved with compassion, and that released a source of energy and power. The spirit moved, and compassion is a key part of that. Now, history has shown that if the church plugs into the power source, it can bring change. That's the good news. Because we can look at this and go, that's kind of dreary out there. But don't be discouraged. He said, I will be with you to the end of the age. If I go, and I'll, right now we see great changes happening in Vancouver. One of the things that's happening is there's more churches, more unity than ever before. Do you know last night, and Landry had a slip out, I was hoping to have him come up and share, but last night we had a number of the youth groups come together here. I think a half a dozen churches came together, one joint youth service, and uh, this place was filled with young people just going 100 miles an hour for Jesus last night in this place. Will somebody give God praise for that? Because that was history in the making. We should be excited for that. Something happened there. And they were just together. That's happening. A lot of other things we could talk about that are happening. So don't be discouraged. It is changing. But it requires a desperation for change. One of my favorite authors, uh, he wrote the book, Why Revival Tarries, Revival Praying, Meet for Men, a guy by the name of Leonard Ravenhill. And 
he said this in one of his messages. I was listening to an old cassette tape of him preaching, and here's what he said. God does not answer prayer. And then he pauses for a really long time. I think, okay, come on, Raven. He'll finish this up. I know you got more to this. And then he says again, God does not answer prayer. God answers desperate prayers. And he was just like, yes. And then he gave a number of illustrations out of the Bible. That when you're desperate, when you're, it's not just, sometimes we pray, we don't even remember what we prayed. But when you're desperate, you remember what you prayed for. You, there's just this, yes, I will not let go. There must be change. And so that's part of being connected to the source of power and wanting change. You'll hear Jim Cimbala say this week in the course, in our life group notes, messages. He says, do we need more translations of the Bible? Do we need more praise and more worship choruses? Do we need better sound systems in our churches, better choir risers, better lighting? Do we need to serve more coffee before the service? What we really need is something from heaven. It's a powerful point. All those things are good. But what really will bring the change is an awesome, mighty move of the Holy Ghost. Can I say King James Version? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit blowing through our church, blowing through our families, blowing through our city. The Holy Spirit, the Ruah of God blowing. See, you you don't find that in another religion. You find this in Christianity. And this is This is why it's so precious to us. It was given to us by Jesus. He said, I I will leave you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. There are other spirits out there. Different types of spirit. But this is the Holy Spirit. He causes us to live holy, to want to be holy, to want to be like our Father, to want to like Jesus. He lives inside of us. It's the Holy Spirit. I like saying that. It makes every religious devil nervous. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. I know this kind of sounds like an oxymoron, but those that are just, uh, yeah, I won't go down that rabbit trail. <laughs> Let me tell you a different story. I'm going to put up a picture, and this is guys by the name of Jeremy, Jeremiah Lamphere. And if you go to New York, you can find this there, uh, Broadway, between 61st and 62nd Street. You've got a bench, and the guy's sitting on a bench. And if you were to walk by, they go, who in the world is this dude? What's he there for? Very interesting character, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, it's in the 1800s, and the country was... Well, let me read to you. Out of This is Revival by Winky Prattney, and he wrote a book on, on revival. He talks a bit about that era, and uh, he says, here's, here's how the nation was, USA, at that time. It's 1857. There was gambling and greed, speculation, spectacular wealth, and prosperity for an elite few widened the gap between the have and the have-nots with a corresponding rapid increase in violent crime. Could that describe today? Does it sound like the movement that we had recently? Then two was occult domination, a nation hungry for the supernatural turn to spiritualism, which gained a popular foothold over many minds. Go look at the Starbucks bulletin board, and you'll see that. 
Number three, immorality. A playboy philosophy of free love was advocated and accepted by many. This is the 1850s. Number four, commercial and political corruption. Bribes, graft, illegal business practices were ripe in the nation. National laws still legalized the cruel system of slavery. Five, atheism, agnosticism, apathy, and indifference to God, to the church, and its message abounded on every hand. The decline was fourfold, social, moral, political, and spiritual. Could that describe today? In that environment was this business guy. He's a businessman. And Jeremiah, in his business world, he was so moved by this. He was a Christian. He said, something's got to change. He was a Dutch Reformed believer. And he went back to his church, and he began to serve. They had a soup kitchen. He was serving the soup kitchen. And he began to, he got tired. He, he was doing business. He was doing service at his church, volunteering. And he got wore out. And he said, you know what? I'm going to stop at lunchtime and pray. So lunchtime, he came into his church, and he prayed. And he said, man, that really picked me up. I feel a lot better. He went back out, had energy to do his work and everything else. And they thought, you know what? Maybe other people would want to stop in the middle of the day and pray. They talked about this at the, in New York. In that session we were there, they talked about this particular awakening, revival. So he would go back and he, and he said, well, I'm going to invite others. So he printed up 20,000 leaflets. That's a lot of leaflets. He handed out 20,000 leaflets, and he invited people for prayer. And the first prayer meeting, I think, was September 23rd, 1857. He handed out, and he invited people to come to this prayer meeting. And he sat alone in the church for half an hour, and nobody showed up. By the time it was over, an hour or so of prayer, five others had showed up. So six men came for prayer. The next Wednesday, there was 10. The next following Wednesday, there was 40. But something happened as this wasn't just, this wasn't just preachers saying we need to pray. It was caught by the lay people. I said, we must pray. He wanted a change. And when he wanted a change, he got plugged into a power source. And pretty soon, they had, within six months, they had 10,000 business people praying every day in New York. The churches got together on this. Others got together on it. And they were having an average of 10,000 people a week come to Christ in the heart of New York. It started a revival, an awakening that was called the awakening of the middle of the 1800s. It spread from the United States. It spread into other areas of Europe and around the world. But it started by some people saying, something's got to change. They were, he was provoked. And he went back and he prayed. It was... A terrible time. There was unemployment. It almost looks like what we have today. It, it actually was worse, but he was prompted to pray, and that brought about the change. Secondly, Jesus is his power source. I think we figured that out. He is the source of power, and he told the disciples he was leaving and that he would send the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, he, he tells the disciples that he's going away. Don't let your heart be troubled. Have you ever, maybe you with children, if, you, if you've gone away and you've left your kids at home, did your kids ask you certain questions? Or can you think back when, when your mom and dad left on a trip somewhere and they left you at home? Did you ask certain questions? Well, these children, or these, not children, these disciples asked Jesus the same type of questions. When we would go, our kids would ask questions like, number one, where are you going? Number two, when are you coming back? Uh... Three, who's going to take care of us when you're gone? Who's going to babysit us? Uh, they might have asked, what do we get to eat when, we're go- when you're gone? Uh, and then you usually ask, and what are you going to bring us when you come back? And so they these questions that children ask, the disciples are basically saying the same thing. Who's going to take care of us when you go? 
And Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will send you. Not an angel. I will send you. Part of the Trinity. I will send you. One who was moved on the face of the water creation. I will send you the Holy Spirit. Wow. Up to now he has been with you. But now he will be in you. And I have to go for that to take place. The Holy Spirit. Like my friend Wayne Myers would say, my, 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 my. How good is that? He would send the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the source. Look at John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It didn't look like it at the time, but it was advantageous that Christ go. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Send him to you. To you. Put your name in there. To Steve. To Chris. To John. I will send them to Mickey. I will send them to you. Wow. Now they were excited. They waited in the upper room because they knew Jesus was sending them the Holy Spirit. See, we've read it so many times. We just kind of get familiar with it. Have you ever expected something in a package? You ordered it off of the internet or something. And you're waiting for it to arrive and you check your mailbox and you're waiting and you're excited. Oh, finally it shows up. Just think of God said, I will send you the Holy Spirit. That's H&L. That's a whole nother level of expectation. I will send you the Holy Spirit. He didn't want them to be troubled. He said, you're going to have trouble in this world, but be of good courage. Overcome the world. I'm, I'm going to bring you the Holy Spirit. Johnny Cash used to sing a song. He sang a song, I got Jesus and that's enough. You know, I have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, that's enough. Doesn't matter where you are, no matter what they take from you, where you've been, what's happened to you, you got Jesus, no matter what mistake you made, the Holy Spirit will, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the Holy Spirit. Ah, I got the Holy Spirit. We had a teacher from the hills of Kentucky in Bible school, and her name was Bobby Joe Hamilton. That sounds like a Kentucky name. She lived in the holler. That doesn't mean you speak loud. A holler is a kind of like a, a canyon or a coulee. And she lived up in this holler. And she said, I got saved behind a pot belly stove. And sometimes she said, I just put my hand on my stomach. And I say, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. I've got the Holy Ghost in me. I've got the Holy Ghost in me. Chris has got the Holy Spirit in him. Stand up here, Chris, just for a sec. Put you on the spot. This is Chris. He's our children's minister. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was in the holies of holies. After the resurrection, that temple curtain was torn in half and the Holy Spirit no longer resided there. He said, well, where is the Holy Spirit today? I'll tell you where. It's right there. It's right in him. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that was in the holies of holies is in him. He's in you. 
Now, it's, it's obvious that the enemy would not like us to really meditate on that because we're pretty dangerous to the kingdom of darkness when we realize the Holy Spirit, thanks, Chris, the Holy Spirit is in me. This is the mystery of the gospel, Paul said. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the mystery. All of the religions, you've got to do this and do that and do something out there and hope something happens and nobody does you wrong and no spirit comes on you. We want the spirit of God to come on us, but to come within us because he's holy, he's pure, he's good. He lives inside of us. Preaching myself happy tonight. Yes, indeed. After, the Holy, after Jesus completed his mission at the cross and was resurrected, the Holy Spirit dwelt in believers. Now, this is a very important point because up to that time, the Holy Spirit came upon them. The, Testament, the Old Testament prophets, the Spirit would come upon them. But in New Testament, after the resurrection, Jesus was a firstborn of many brethren. After the resurrection, no longer was the Holy Spirit just moving upon them we now became the temple of the Holy Spirit. He now was in us. Okay, a couple of verses here. John 7, 38 to 39. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of his spirit, will flow rivers of living water. Not his brain, not his body, out of his heart. But this he spoke concerning the spirit. Now watch closely. Whom those believing in him would receive future tense for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So up until the cross, even the disciples, when they were following Jesus, the Spirit was upon them but not in them. And once the resurrection happened and he was raised from the dead, now the Spirit of God was dwelling in them. Like we read in Corinthians, they became the temple of the Holy Spirit. One more, John 14, 17. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world at large cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you do because, now he's speaking to his disciples, because he lives with you now and later, after the resurrection, will be in you. Wow. What is your greatest, richest resources inside you? is the Holy Spirit. You, no wonder we want to take care of the temple because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. How do you think they took care of the temple in the Old Testament? It wasn't run down, wasn't messy, they took care of it. How much more do we take care of our temple because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Okay, now, number four ties in with this. The power flows from inside us. It's our spirit that plugs into the Holy Spirit. If I had an electrical device up here and I wanted to plug it in, I'd take the plug and I'd plug it into the socket and power would be released and something would change. If I had a hair dryer and I plugged that in here, I, I could blow some hot air and the atmosphere would change. So I would plug it in there. The, that plug plugs into the source. Your spirit's kind of like that plug. That's what plugs into God. Now, it's all connected, your body and your brain, your mind. They're all overlapping, but it's your spirit that plugs into the Holy Spirit. Your spirit is reborn. Your spirit plugs into God. Your spirit, now this is amazing, your spirit and God's spirit become one. He dwells in your spirit. 
He renews our mind. He strengthens our body, but he lives in our spirit. It flows from us. Look at Ephesians 3.16. Paul prayed, I'm asking God to give you a gift from the wealth of his glory. I pray he would give you inner strength and power through his spirit. His spirit. Who's the source? Jesus. How do we plug in? With our spirit. What happens? Inner strength. You can have a great athletic body, and that's good to have. Good to keep yourself in shape. You can have a strong IQ. Good to keep our minds sharp and clear. A good emotion quotient, intelligent quotient. Now there's something called a cultural quotient. All those different quotients. It's good to have all that. But really, ultimately, your strength will come from within. Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water because the source is the Holy Spirit. Wow. That's why some of the greatest things that were done, great changes that have taken place, it was because they were just, you know, when Jesus selected disciples, they were not the academic of the day. Not that God couldn't have selected them. They were not the religious leaders of the day. They were ordinary people. God chose, and they became the extraordinary people. We're all ordinary, but God can take us from our ordinary background. He can take us to great places of leadership, whether it be academic, whether it be in a, in a faith community, or whether it be in a business community. But it's when we, as simply as, as we can, we just say, God, I trust your spirit to do something through my life. That's what happened to those disciples. Uh, John 7, 38, he who believes in me, we read it earlier, as the scripture said, out of his heart. So the power comes from within us. Then lastly, boy, we could spend more time on this. In order to receive the power, we must submit to the source. Now, you know, you, you can't, you know, when I plug in something here, I, I, just, I just submit to that power that's coming out of there. And if we want to plug into God's power, you submit to him. You can't say, God, I want it like this, this, and this, and I don't want that. I want, you know what? It's just, I submit why do we raise our hands? One of the symbols for raising our hands is I surrender. We sing that song, I surrender all. So if you want to plug in the source of power, it's God, I surrender my life to you. And you, and you take off your filters and your conditions. Say, God, but I don't understand this and I don't understand that. And I remember when we were being prayed for to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I had a list of conditions for the guy who was praying for me. I said, you know, okay, but I, 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 what about this? And what about that? And what about, I had a whole list. And he said, Dave, you know what? Just put your list away and just receive. And so I said, oh, okay, I'll put my list away and we just receive. And as I went along, I found God answered my questions. But first of all, I just had to surrender to the power source. Wow. Okay, Luke, i got to wrap this up. 24, 29. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem. Wait there until you're endued with power from on high. Wow. Power from on high. This is beyond their ability, beyond their talent, beyond their resources, their intellect. All that stuff just gets in your way anyhow. Gets in your way of receiving his power. He said, God, I just surrender all, plug in your power. And what happens is we become a conduit. Ordinary business guy in New York, ordinary fishermen, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. As we lay our life down before the Lord and say, God, 
something's got to change in my life. Something's got to change in my family's life. Something's got to change in our city. Where do I go? I go to the source of power. That source of power is Jesus Christ. I said, Lord, I surrender to you. Let your power flow through me as a temple of the Holy Spirit into a broken world. I receive you. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. 